And I am Karen Wright. Joining me now, my dear friend, Mr. Al Bat from somewhere near Heartland, Minnesota. Hey, Al, how are things over there? Boy, things are uh, really, really good. I'd like to wish a happy, slightly belated birthday uh, to my lovely bride, Gail, whose uh, birthday was Sunday, February 4th. And uh, boy, I don't know what I'd do without her. So, also to uh, Tim Scott, good friend, uh, Gail and Tim share a birthday. So, well, happy uh, birthday, Tim and Gail. That's awesome. We we uh, certainly appreciate both of them, and and hope they had a good day. Yeah, I I I'm, uh, I can't speak for either one of them, but I I hope it, that's my wish as well. Also, I want to thank the Village Cooperative in Austin for allowing me to come over there and. Uh, and blather on and bloviate about birds and various things. So uh, lovely people. And also to Tom. Now, I think I know who Tom is, but, you know, if you say that's who it is, invariably you're going to be wrong. But Tom sent some lucky four-leaf clovers uh, to Gail and I, and he even had one in there with a five-leaf clover that he'd found. So, um, you know, everybody needs more luck. I bet you I know. Is it Tom? Do you think his last initial is J? I just have a feeling. Um, you know, I, I don't know. We could I, be I, wrong. Do you know one yeah. time we, we had a patch of clover. They didn't just have four leaf. They had five leaf, six leaf, seven leaf. And I think there was even like a 12 leaf. I don't know it was a, if it was a mutant patch or something, but this was on our farm wow. back when we were on the farm. And it was just crazy because you'd go there and you know you could find, you know, easily find four leaf. And then you, we'd just had so many and we pressed them in books and for all I know those books are long gone but it was pretty cool those those mutant uh, very 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 good luck patch how many heads did most of your cows have were a lot of them seven-legged cows <laughs> or did you have that kind of thing going on there too or was it just just a clover well you know one part? time we had a calf that was born like with two head it didn't live but um so and there was one calf I think that had five legs or something but n- normally no um so yeah no more. Most of them were just four-legged and one-headed. I remember Dad throwing us all in the car, and we drove somewhere and looked at a two-legged or two-headed calf. Was it alive? <clears throat> it was for wow. it lived. Oh man, I forget how many days it lived. It lived a little while, and oh. then it uh, sadly passed away. But it was, uh, boy, you know that was that was unbelievable to see that because we. We'd always heard about things like that. We'd read about it in the Farmer magazine and all those kind of things. But uh, we had a, a fellow that lived, uh, oh, I suppose it was six, seven miles from us. So we went over there, and he should have been selling tickets because he had all these farmers that were pretty much starved for entertainment, apparently. And we were all lining up to see these calves and just uh, were being amazed. And, of course, everybody had a story. They said, well, my cousin, he married into this family, and his brother-in-law's brother-in-law his family had a two-headed calf and i think that lived for about a year and we'd hear all these wonderful stories of uh, also known as fish tails too some, some of them. yeah there was nobody we knew personally but it was somebody we knew who knew somebody who was related to somebody who knew somebody that had those boy uh, up early this morning and uh, i saw the cardinal we have a male and two females in the yard, and the male gets along with either female, apparently, but the two females fight. Uh, and not so much fighting, one chases the other one. 
but they're the first at the feeder in the morning, and they're the last at that same platform feeder when the day's light has grown dim. I look outside at night sometimes. I can barely see that cardinal out there at the feeder. So a cardinal's low-light vision must be just extremely good. And I, for some reason, I thought about... Years ago, my wife and I went to visit a friend who lives uh, not far from the Maple River between Mapleton and Minnesota Lake, and we watched a male cardinal feeding goldfish in this friend's pond. Feeding? Yep. Why? uh, (laughs) The fish would come up, and I think it's the the gaping mouths of the fish triggered the cardinal's instinct to feed. So the urge to fill an open mouth transcended species. Wow. And I I looked it up, I remember, after that, after we saw that. And, of course, I didn't have a camera or anything else with me because you never do when things like that happen. But it, it happens now and again. So they just have this... Uh, strong cardinals have both strong maternal instincts, of course, and in this case, paternal instincts, because this was a male that was feeding them. And the fish would come up there, and they'd just bleep, 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 like fish do, <laughs> and he'd slam something in there, and away they go. And I imagine a lot of times it was something maybe like a sunflower seed or something that the fish really didn't care all that much for, and probably spit out later. But it was just really a neat thing to say to see. And uh, I want to say it was Saturday, Saturday or Sunday, I heard the double squawk of a rooster pheasant, a cow cat, I always think they're saying. And it's it's a way that they crow like a rooster in the yard, uh, a chicken. And it's another sign that daylight is lengthening. So the days are getting longer and longer. But I heard that... I heard that crow, and I thought, boy, I better get outside. You know, if he can be out there crowing, it's kind of cool, but I better be out there anyway. But by the time I'd staggered outside to answer the call of the world, the wind had picked up, and it was a lazy wind, and it went through me instead of around me. And it was like that wind we had yesterday. I came out of a school at New Alm High School, built kind of on the edge of town, and, oh, that wind just about took you to another country. It was really howling. And then by the time I was headed about halfway home, it kind of just stopped, and it was very pleasant, as it is this morning. Chad Hines. Chad is a man from Mankato, and he said, Saturday evening I went looking for snowy owls with my daughters. We relocated a snowy owl that had been reported on the north side of County Road 13, just west of County Road 32. This would be north of the Lincoln WPA. The bird was perched up on the tall power poles in the area. Also successfully relocated a snowy owl in the Casota Prairie that night. It was fun to watch as he ran around on the ground out in the field on the south side. And you know, some say, well, what's he doing running around on the ground? He's got wings. Well, they they will hunt on the ground. They will hunt in the air, and uh, they'll hunt anywhere they can catch something. So they will hunt on the ground, probably trying to catch Karen's friends of old <laughs> or <yes>. mice. <laughs> yeah, something like that. So they will be on the ground, and they are ground hunters. And they're very, very nimble. 
And Chad teaches a field ornithology class, and he said uh, the class and he were treated to an immature female northern goshawk hunting at Lincoln WPA. I get um, a lot of nice emails and calls from people asking about a goshawk, and in most cases it turns out to be a Cooper's hawk probably. But we do certainly see goshawks, and that's what I tell everybody. It's certainly possible you saw one, but, you know, we always go with the more likely. We say, well, it's more likely this bird or this bird, but there's always a possibility. And northern goshawks are just incredibly beautiful birds. The goshawk was hovering over the grasses and made a couple of dives on prey. The first time it spooked out three gray partridge, which shot out in multiple directions. I have uh, spooked coveys of uh, gray partridge. A lot of people call them Hungarian partridge. And uh, walking around, and they will sit in a circle with their tails in and their heads out. And when you come upon them, or when I come upon them, they just fly in every which direction. Just, they all go these different ways. They do that for, uh, I think, one primary reason, and that's to confuse a predator. If um, you're a fox or something that's there would like to get them, when they all go in those different directions, it uh, hurts your brain for a little while. You say, oh, my gosh, which one am I going to chase? And by that time, they're gone. So great partridge are really cool little birds, and we just don't see very many of them anymore. Uh Then they found the goshawk perched on the middle road, 169th Street on the south side in a tree. Chad and his group also saw a rough-legged hawk, an American tree sparrow, and a horned lark. Other recent birds, common redpole and northern flicker, irregularly at his feeders. Cooper's hawk, brown creeper, and pileated woodpecker. And um, Gail and I saw a northern shrike last uh, yesterday uh, in Eagle Lake, so it's pretty cool. I hadn't seen one over in that way for a while. So, oh, I, I know John of New Alm has um, something on this, but I, I got to add uh, something in a similar vein. Mel Janowitz. Uh, Mel lives in Albert Lee. And Mel knows I go to Alaska a lot, so when I see Mel, he usually has some comment about Alaska, something he's read in the paper or seen on TV. He asked this question, why do Alaskans wash their clothes in Tide? And I had to think, you know, I had to even sit down to think for a while. And I thought I knew the answer, but I didn't want to give it because he he had a smile like a wave across the slop pail. So I had to let the intrigue build. And he said, because it's cold outside. So, uh, yeah. Al, since you're on jokes, could I share a couple from our friend John in New Alm? Please, please. These are some serious questions for Al, it starts. Can a kangaroo jump higher than a house? I don't think most houses can jump at all, but <laughs> it might. <laughs> and that is the answer, yes, because oh houses can't gosh. jump. So you got it. Ding, 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 ding. Oh, I, you know, I don't want to get many right, so I apologize. Okay, how do fleas travel? Um, short hops, maybe? I don't know. They itch hike. Oh, they itch hike. Oh. Okay, here's another one. What happens when you throw a green rock into the Red Sea? It's uh, it gets wet. Yes, you got see you got two oh. out of three today. So I don't know. Man. 
he's gonna he's gonna have to start getting more clever than 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 you are. I think. I think that qualifies me to go to graduate school. <laughs> Absolutely. Two out of three of John's. That uh, that should. Oh, I'm. I have to mention one thing. When John talked about the fleas, there are snow fleas out now, so check out around the base of trees. Now, what is that? What what are snow snow fleas? Snow fleas are little springtails. They're not true fleas. And when we were kids, we'd always, uh, or I would, I'd tell other kids about snow fleas, and, of course, they thought I was uh, (laughs) making things up, you know, (laughs) and I'd say, yeah. But if you look at the base of trees on warm sunny days. As the days get longer, you'll see what looks like pepper on the snow. And if you look down on it, you'll see the pepper is jumping. It's jumping pepper. These are little wingless springtails, and they jump. That's how they move about. And they're on the base of trees a lot because they eat organic matter, so uh, a lot of leaves, rotting leaves, decaying leaves, that sort of thing. But snow fleas are um, they're another sign of spring for me. I just go out and look for pepper on the snow, and it's uh, it's really a cool thing to see. They're tough little guys because they can take this. Uh, they can take pretty cold weather. Well, right now it's zero. Would they be out today? It'll probably uh, be a little bit warmer before they'll oh, be out. Okay. So when we get one of our nice warm days, and as we get in February, you know, uh, stuff warms up in the sun. So yes. it's amazing. I can, when my wife goes shopping in January, I'll say, I'm not going in there. I'll sit in the car, and then I'm too cheap to run the car because I don't want to pollute the world or spend gas on, spend money on gas. So I sit in that car, and it gets colder and colder and colder, so I usually end up uh, wimping out and walking into the store and wandering around. Trying, by the time I find her, she's checking out, and we go back outside. See, in fe- I was February, you, before you I go on in that car. Whoops. Oh, before you go on, I wanted to share another thing that uh, observation that John wanted to, me to share with you. Okay. He said some weeks ago I saw two sparrows fly into a bush like normal, but this time they were trying to hide because about ten seconds later a big hawk flew real close to the bush. One wing close to the ground, the other wing was pointed to the sky. It was a wow moment. I was about 10 feet away from the window at work when it happened. So, a cool. It, it is cool, and um, yeah, unless you're a sparrow, I guess. <clears throat> then it's probably not so cool. But, yeah, that we have um, Cooper's hawks are the ones I, I see the most of, but there's also sharp-shinned hawks and, uh, and that goshawk. But sharp-shinned and Cooper's are the ones that are primarily after the birds, and they have short wings. And they have a long tail, and they use that tail kind of as a rudder. And they can fly through the trees and shrubbery chasing these birds. And studies have shown that they're successful about 12% of the time, at least mm-hmm. Cooper's hawks in a, sto- in a study were. So they are looking for food in these sparrows. So if you're a little sparrow or something, you need to have eyes in the back of your head like all our teachers had. And you need to be ready to go into some dense thicket or some place like that where there's tangles. Uh, Cooper's hawks will hunt from the ground. I had one in my yard. He'll sit on the ground and just wait for birds to come in and then try to fly up and catch them quickly. If I only had 12% of luck when I went into the grocery store when buying food, I'd be hungry <laughs> a lot. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah, that's what I think about, too. I think, man, 12%, you know, that's every time we go to the cafe 
and 88% of the time they'd come over, the waitress said, uh-uh, not today. Not for you. you know? Yeah, not for you. No soup for you today. So go away. Try again. Maybe come back this afternoon. We'll see. And 12% of the time. Plus, they have to work hard. And uh, I realize that hawks spend a good share of their life perched. We see red-tailed hawks along the highway, and they're perched most of the time. That's the way they hunt. But when Cooper's hawks or sharp shins hunt, it's a mad dash. They're flying through the air at just these super speeds, trying to catch these little birds that don't want to be caught. You have to be careful you don't hit a tree or a vine or something like that. So it's uh, it's not an easy life out there. I had a uh, beautiful red fox in my yard, and he was... Uh, sneaking around they kind of skulk around and uh, lick his nose every so often i think that helps them to uh, scent things better if they lick their nose and he would uh, trot along and then he'd stick his nose in the snow and then he'd have to lick the snow off his nose i think he was hunting once again for karen's friends of voles they, they like to eat voles what a beautiful guy he was little white tip on the tail and they have black ears and black feet and they're just beautiful birds and i mentioned it to a friend that i had this fox and he said what do they eat uh, foxes are, a red fox is what this one was. We also have gray fox, but the red fox is probably the one that most people are most familiar with. It's an omnivore, so it eats a wide variety of foods, including fruits, berries, grasses, uh, mushrooms, birds, eggs, small mammals, primarily uh, squirrels, rabbits, voles, rats, and mice. <clears throat> they will also eat crickets, caterpillars, grasshoppers, beetles, uh, crayfish or crawdads, as a lot of us know them as, uh, frogs, lizards, snakes, fish, worms, pet food, carrion, garbage. I must have missed something there. They, in other words, they'll eat just about anything they can find out there, and then they will store that extra food under the snow leaves or dirt. So they are, um, they're really cool animals. I just love seeing foxes. The female fox is a vixen, and the male fox is called a dog, a dog fox. Oh, when the cardinals come in, we have these three, so it's a uneasy um, triangle, love triangle here, I think. When do they pair up is that most cardinals will start forming their pair bonds now. So it's February to April. Males and females that have been paired in previous seasons are often the first to pair up as the new breeding season begins, sometimes as early as January. So there could be a, a pair out here. And then the other uh, female cardinal is just... Uh, well, she's in a sad situation, but it'll all work out for her. That's what we hope. I've This was a question I got in an email. So I've heard that cold will kill emerald ash borers. Is that true? There was a research done by the U.S. Forest Service and USDA, and that found that when emerald ash borer larvae are subjected to zero degrees, zero degrees Fahrenheit, 5% of them will die. 
at a minus 10, 34% succumb. At minus 20, 79% die. And at minus 30, 98% perish. And the larvae are provided insulation from the outer bark and from below the snow line if situated at the base of a tree. That, so that means it might require sustained periods at an ambient temperature before temperatures under the bark drop to that level. So it could be 30 degrees outside for us when we go outside, but these guys could be pretty warm under the bark of the tree or under the snow. So that 98% kill rate would uh, be pretty tough to to get even at a minus 30. Uh, gypsy moths, which are another problem in the state, uh, die-offs begin serious at uh, minus 20. But again, they're insulated by bark, tree, and snow. Uh, leaf litter and snow provide insulation for many species of insects. Many of our crop pests will die in cold weather, but they migrate or are blown here by storm fronts the next year. And um, a question about uh, this. This lady had quite a story about a bird uh, being bitten by a cat. And um, she said, can birds survive being bitten by a cat? This one did not that she was uh, talking to me about. <clears throat> There's great numbers of birds are rescued from the mouths of cats and submitted to wildlife rehab centers for treatment. And um, from the statistics I could locate, and it was hard to find. Uh, I thought this would be a real easy one to find statistics, but it, it didn't prove to be necessarily so. The majority of birds bitten by cats die without immediate treatment or antibiotics. And approximately 40% of those that die die from the direct effects of the bites and about 60% from infections. Well, I do know when I was bitten by my cat uh, quite a few years back that you need to go in and get antibiotics because there is something that truly is called cat scratch fever that you can get. And so cat infections can be very serious. So it's, I mean, I would imagine if it's like that for humans, birds would be a much smaller scale. So that makes sense. Yes, and uh, it's like most things with humans, some are much more susceptible, but boy, it's one of those things that you don't want to take a chance on because, yep, cat scratch fever. Oh, hey, February is National Bird Feeding Month, so everybody, whether you've ever fed birds, uh, you know, you have to get out there and feed birds now because it's a law. Uh, There was research done by a group called AYTM, and that is Ask Your Target Market. It's a a group that does uh, advertising research. And they this was in 2015. They found that more than 40% of U.S. households will feed birds. And that's uh, that'd be over more than 52 million Americans. And in 1994, Congressman John Porter of Illinois read a resolution into the congressional record, and it read, I would like to recognize February, one of the most difficult months in the U.S. for wild birds, as National Bird Feeding Month. During this month, individuals are encouraged to provide food, water, and shelter to help birds survive. This assistance benefits the environment by supplementing wild birds' natural diet of weed seeds and insects. In addition, backyard bird feeding is an entertaining, educational, and inexpensive pastime enjoyed by children and adults. 
Bird feeding provides a needed break from today's frantic lifestyles. Adults enjoy the relaxation and peacefulness afforded by watching birds. Nature serves to relieve the stress and can get one's day going on a tranquil note. So uh, thank you to former Congressman John Porter. At least I shouldn't say that. I don't think he's still still a congressman but that was a, that was a good thing i think i told you i i have stopped feeding the birds because the seeds all attracted the voles and so i and other things in the yard so i just sort of quit doing it so i feel bad but you know i know there's neighbors that do it so i i guess it'll be okay and the voles uh, you know they had elected you queen so you were <laughs> queen of the voles in your yard so you have to realize that too that they are your humble subjects Right. <laughs> I hope everyone will come to the cafe today where the food chain is <clears throat> missing a few links. The special is always a Heimlich maneuver and gravy is considered a beverage. And now featuring authentic leftovers with less hair in the food and real cup holders where grease is good and none of the food smells like feet. Well, hardly any of it. The table talk this morning was of digital devices. Uh, you know, everybody's either opposed to them or strongly in favor and i think most of those that are opposed to them still probably use them a lot anyway so i and i when it was my turn to talk i said i went off to college with two electrical devices one was a toaster that i'd bought used and the other was a radio that i'd received as a gift and i loved them both but i didn't spend all that much time staring at either one (laughs) So I don't know if I missed out by not having digital devices. Sometimes I wish I had a camera. I wish I'd had a camera. It had been fun having a camera, just taking pictures of things. But, you know, I don't wish that for very long. There's nothing more useless than wishing things had been different in the past. Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Thank you, Karen, as always, for your exquisite company. And thanks, everybody, for listening to KMSU. Hey, Al, great to chat with you. We'll be back again next week. Until then, happy bird watching. Thanks. All right, bye-bye. Our good friend, Mr. Al Bat.